This is Leslie. This is Liam. And this is Tim. And we are all trading money stress for real happiness. You are listening to Seeds, usually a 15-minute debrief on young people's common money challenges. But this time, we're stoked to be hosting the Future of Finance series, highlighting some of our favorite industry leaders and their top tips for managing your money. And today, we're excited to feature Climb Credit. Climb Credit is an innovative student lending platform that makes career creation and transformation more accessible, affordable, and accountable than ever before. Driven by a mission to empower individuals to unlock their career potential, no matter their career profile, Climb Credit identifies programs and schools with a demonstrated ability to improve the earnings of their graduates. Then, they provide learners with financing options that are priced and structured to meet the unique needs of those seeking career elevation and increased earning power. Recognizing the dynamic and diverse nature of an economy in rapid change, Climb Credit partners with schools to teach everything from cybersecurity to pilot training. While some colleges are struggling to meet the real-world needs of their students, Climb Credit and, their, and its partners' schools are committed to inspiring practicality that can bring confidence as individuals own the next phase of their career goals. And representing Climb Credit is no other than CEO Angela Ceresny. The CEO of Climb Credit and former Chief Operating Officer when she joined the team in 2016. She's quickly helped to shape operations, culture, and the future of Climb. And even before that, she had co-founded and was the CEO and CFO of Orchard Platform, a provider of software and data products offered to institutional investors to purchase loans from marketplace lenders acquired by Cabbage. Before her time at Orchard, she spent nine years running credit risk and analytics team at American Express and Citibank, where she made billions of dollars worth of data-driven credit decisions. Angela, thanks so much for being here. We're stoked to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. Great. And Angela, you know our podcast is designed to help trade money stress for real happiness. So what does happiness mean to you and how are you using your own finances to get there? Such a good question. Um, and I love, uh, I love starting with that because I think um, you can really get an idea of what someone's goals are, how they think about their life by understanding what brings them happiness. Um, I think of happiness as being joyful. Um, I think that you can find joy in pretty much anything, even hard things or challenging things. And if you figure out what brings you that energy, that sort of joyful energy, you can um, make anything make you happy. So to me, it's really about understanding my own like needs and desires and like what brings me energy and then making sure to focus on that. And so as it relates to money, um, I think I've learned, I learned in my years of working that while I certainly want to have enough money to be able to do the basic things, put food on the table, be able to, you know, go on a vacation here and there with my kids, those sorts of things, I'm not motivated by money. And so figuring out what motivated, what motivates me and what gets me excited has been a real journey over the last like nearly 20 years of my career. And 
by doing that, I've been able to find financial success because typically those things follow each other. If you're doing something that you really love and you're good at, eventually someone will want to pay you for that. It's such a great reminder that finding that motivator is not just a one-time process, it's a continual process. So Angela, thanks for sharing. And I love how you talked about financial success. I want to pivot actually to the other side of the spectrum, as I'm curious if there have been any financial challenges that either you've experienced or maybe that you've witnessed that kind of motivated you to still be in this space and contribute to the industry. Yeah, that's such an that's such a good question. So I, as you mentioned in the intro, I spent you know the first few years of my career working in traditional financial services, and I was at Amex and then at Citibank during the last recession. Um, now a lot of your uh, a lot of your listeners might have been pretty young at that time, but uh, certainly all of them were around, uh, and what anyone who was around will remember is that starting in about 2007 and all the way through 2010 and 2011, um, we had, our economy really cratered. There were a lot of challenges in the housing market and in the traditional financial system that caused companies like Amex and Citi who issue credit to people to become very, very nervous about issuing more credit. And so what happened was it became increasingly more difficult to get a credit card, to get a mortgage, to get a loan. And me working at these companies where that was our job was to give people credit cards and mortgages and loans and, and working on the front lines of that because my job was to help decide who to give those things to, I saw and had a first, I'd say a front row seat to the challenges of day-to-day regular Americans and also small business owners who were trying to access credit and were now unable to. And it was really, you know, it was really upsetting because you saw somebody who had student loans, had credit cards that were overdue, had bills that they needed to pay and really couldn't figure out what the right next step was for them and would turn to our financial system, but the financial system was not set up to help guide people, right? So when we would say no to someone, like, no, we're not gonna give you a credit card. It wasn't no, but here are the other things you should be doing. It was just no. And that was um, unacceptable in my mind. And so in 2012, I left you know, the big banking world and, and started my first company Orchard, which we discussed and then, and then ended up moving to Climb and what I think excites me about Climb, but about all the things that I've done since leaving the kind of the big banking system is that it's really focused on community of people in, in Climb's case, people who are looking to attend, you know, upskilling or reskilling programs. How do we get credit to those people so that they can go to those programs and reap the benefits on the other side in terms of increased earning potential. Absolutely, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was amazing. Yeah, it's really inspiring to see that, that mission-driven approach to your career. Um, just taking a step back even a little bit further, uh, many of our listeners are recent grads. As you reflect on your own journey, what do you wish you knew when you were starting to build that adult relationship and plan with money at the beginning of your career? 
Yeah, so um, I'll talk about a few mistakes that I made. So one was I, um, I didn't get my first actual credit card till I started my job at Amex. And it was a very embarrassing situation because the American Express uh, cafeteria doesn't take cash and only takes Amex. So I showed up on my first day and I was like, all right, I guess that means I need an Amex card. I get denied. Why did I get denied? Because I hadn't had a credit card before, but I did have a Comcast bill that I had not paid because I didn't know about it from, you know, a year before when I was in a house with a bunch of people and whatever. And that was a negative ding on my report, on my credit report. And so I was actually unable to get an Amex card for probably the first year or so that I worked there, meaning that I struggled to eat in the cafeteria. <laughs> and so there was like a way around it, but it was a little complicated anyway, like, Again, like in thinking about how my the arc of my career and the arc of my financial life, that was a really kind of, I would say a real pivotal point because I realized that like there were decisions I could have made before, like, I don't know, getting a credit card when you turn 18 just to build credit that I hadn't done because I didn't really know that I was supposed to. Um, which then led to like this sort of frustration of like, why isn't anyone telling people that, right? Like, this isn't unique to me. This is literally everybody. Why aren't we learning about this? And so that I would say was a big, so one big piece of advice to anyone is if you don't have a credit card yet, you should probably try and get one because you wanna start building credit um, some way. Uh, and then um, the other thing that I learned, uh, again, like from working in the industry, was about like compound interest and savings, right? So I started working for the first time, actually had a little bit of savings and I had no idea what to do with it. And I remember it was sitting in my checking account that I had with like Chase or who or, you know, whoever and earning no interest. And a friend of mine explained to me that there are, you know, like various love risk levels of you know, like you can take your money and you can put it in a high yield savings account, right? Where you can earn a little bit more money, but it's a little less accessible to you. And then there's other products where you can earn a little bit more money, but it might be a little more, more risky, like putting it into stocks or whatever. Um, those were concepts that I had never learned before. And in the job that I had, I didn't need to know them, um, but were like really fundamental to how I think people can build wealth. Even if you don't have a lot of money, if you take dollars that you've earned, even a small amount, and you're just leaving it in a savings account that earns no interest, you're actually losing money because of inflation, right? Like these are sort of complicated topics, but like in the end, they're so important for people to understand because the only way that you can build wealth and then be able to have financial freedom is to you know understand how the system works to some degree and then figure out your level of comfort comfort of operating within it. Angela, thanks for sharing all of that. I appreciate you expressing your your vulnerability because we have all been in that spot. I think that's why these conversations are so important. And I also really appreciate how your past experiences have influenced this path to your way to help enable people to prevent these mistakes moving forward, right? Uh, but, but that being said, I want to shift into the future of finance. Our topic for the series here 
And I'm curious to hear any of your strong opinions about what lies ahead for the average American, why that might be. Right. Well, I would say like the elephant in the room in terms of what lies ahead is probably about student loans, right? Uh, my sense, again, is that probably most of us on this call have student loans. I know I do. Um, and uh, also probably a lot of people listening. And so to me, to me, I think there's a real question about what do we do about the outstanding student loans, right? And how can, how can we help guide both policy to you know, get lawmakers to do the right thing about outstanding student loans, but also give people the tools to deal with the loans as they exist today. But then we have all the new crop of people who are considering going to school either because they're graduating from high school and that's a natural next step for them or they're in the workforce and interested in maybe gaining new skills or having a career shift and trying to figure out how to access education in the most affordable way. And so to me, I think um, both dealing with the problem at hand, which is the 1.6, probably 1.7 trillion now by the time we're talking about it, <laughs> that it exists, but then also giving people tools and, and helping to change the system so that we don't solve the debt that exists now, but then just get back to where we are again in a few years. So I'd be happy to jump into either of those, but that's kind of where I like that. that I, all I think about is, is education and, and student finance. So like those are the kind of big trends. And I think the really important systemic stuff that we need to be dealing with because it affects our young people. Absolutely. I selfishly would love to hear your rabbit hole, you know, thoughts on both of those. And I'm like scribbling down notes over here on the side. Um, but I love how you talked about the duality, right, of both tools and, and systems. And I think in many ways, we try to use band-aid solutions to solve larger problems. And that just might be based on the information you have at hand. Um, speaking of information. I'm really curious with your background in finance, your leadership at Klein, if there are any pieces of bad advice that you see in the money management industry or the personal finance gurus and how you divide someone to avoid that bad advice. Oh gosh. Um, I think some of the bad advice that I see is around, um, particularly for young people, around risk allocation and sort of how you think about um, allocating the dollars that you have into different types of like investments um, based on your goals. And one of the things that I think like I'm gonna, okay, so I'll use an example that might be a little bit out there, but like crypto as an example. So I don't know if you guys ever touch on crypto, but um, I happen to be married. My husband is a CEO of a crypto business. So I have to hear about it all the time and therefore have some opinions about it. But what's interesting is it has a reputation of being really volatile, right? Like it's a very risky investment. If you put a bunch of money in crypto, like you got to be okay to say bye to it. But what happens with volatility is you also have potential upside. And anyone who invested some money in crypto a couple of years ago would be doing pretty well with it right now, right? And so there's a question of how much wealth does someone need to have in order 
to start making even small investments in things that might be volatile? And my answer to that is not very much. It's all about proportions. So if you only have $1,000, don't put $1,000 in crypto because <laughs> you might end up with none, right? But if you only have $1,000, maybe put $1 in crypto or $2. And as that starts to grow, right? And your wealth starts to grow because you earn money and hopefully save or do other things, then that 10% or 1% or whatever it is that you invested in the risky, riskier or more volatile assets, you can up the dollar amount there because it ups with your, you know, sort of like overall wealth profile. Um, and I think what happens today or what you sometimes see today is that people who have, are just starting out, right? And so don't have a big nest egg, think that the right answer is to put it all in the really safe stuff. And, the, and, and I think that what happens is it then means that all of the upside that's being generated in the more volatile assets is reserved for the people who already have money. And so my hope is that with the new, you know, with new asset classes like crypto coming out and other things like that, that the new, uh, I would say new generation of wealth builders, so people who are starting to earn some money and maybe be able to save some, will be able to take advantage of these opportunities in amounts that make sense for them, right? And their life, but also that can give them an opportunity to really make money on whatever money they have. Right, I totally, totally agree with that. You know, I'm a hands-on learner. So, you know, putting putting some money into to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or, or whatever, you know, alternative investment there might be in, in kind of seeing your, your small amount grow and, and understanding how, you know, kind of everything works behind the scenes by getting that money in um, is definitely, uh, definitely something that, that is, uh, would be really useful. Um, pivoting now to, uh, to climb credit specifically, we know the, the climb mission is to expand access to career advancing education. How do education careers and the adult relationship with money uh, kind of intersect? Yeah, so um, the, the careers that CLIMB sort of helps facilitate entry into are pretty broad. So we work uh, with technology training programs. So this is, you know, people going into software development, IT jobs, cybersecurity. We work in sort of the classic trades. So this would be trucking and logistics, uh, electrician, plumbing, th those types of trades uh, and those types of jobs. And then of course, healthcare. And I would say with each of these fields, there's sort of like unique characteristics to both um, people that are drawn to them um, and how to access those, those fields and like the like type of earnings that you can get on the other side and like what that means about your relationship with both that career, but also with money. Um, what I think all of those jobs as diverse as they are um, have in common is that there's a very clear entry point. There, well, one is there's a lot of demand for all of those jobs. So if you wanna be any of those things, go get the training because there's a job on the other side. They all earn a living wage and are typically salaried or fairly high uh, hourly wages. And they all have very clear entry points and career progression tracks once you're in. So 
using the medical field as an example, a lot of the programs that we work with are certification programs that can get you an entry-level job into the medical profession, right? Where you're a medical assistant or something similar to that. Now, that's a great first job. It's very low cost to get the training, pretty quick turnaround, and then you're in the field, right? Now you're working in a medical setting. And what's a better way to figure out if you want to be a medical professional than to work in a hospital or a doctor's office? Now you're working there. Now your next step can be another credential to be able to be to, to be able to earn more money, potentially in the exact same with the exact same employer that you're working for, and to just have the job of their colleague over there who you come to work with every day and understand what they do. Um, another example that's similar to that is in, is in uh, dentistry, right? So you can be a, uh, start by being a dental assistant, then you get a certification, now you can be a dental hygienist, right? And then if you really are into it, go be a dentist yourself, right? But all of these things, I think what they have in common, all those career tracks is that there's these very clear entry points where there's a ton of demand and then the ability to continue to invest in your own learning and your own career progression to be able to earn more money and you know have more responsibility or whatever it is that that's important to you and brings you joy that's just awesome i i hope that folks that are listening to this episode are thinking about their career in terms of what demand is out there how can i clearly control or in some ways just get a perspective or vantage point on my own career progression um angela you're absolutely dropping gems already. And I, I feel like a natural next question here is given a lot of the industries that you mentioned, also given, you know, wanting to get towards an accelerated income earning potential as a black woman, my, you know, thought process goes towards, wow, this is such an incredible, almost social impact that you're having. So I, I'd love to hear from your perspective, how you view climbs mission and the solutions you provide as part of helping to get access to historically underserved populations and what it means to almost have like a, dare I say it, almost double bottom line of creating some kind of social change, but also being able to provide incredible opportunities. Right. Um, well, first of all, I don't shy away from the fact that we're a mission-based business and that we we aren't officially double bottom line, but we are certainly a business that wants to do well while also making money. So we're, we're you know, we, we want to make money, like no question about that, but we believe very strongly that the best way to make money in, in the industry and what we're doing is by doing it right. And by making sure that we work with schools that are really delivering results working in career tracks where people are really gonna be able to find jobs and helping people obtain those jobs who otherwise may have been left out. That by doing that, you grow the industry, right? Which then grows our business, which then grows the industry. And you get like a really lovely positive flywheel that like not only makes money, but makes money in the right way. And like an example, it, you know, if a school, for instance, doesn't deliver outcomes or the outcomes that they deliver don't make sense relative to the cost, long-term partnering with a school like that's going to be a bad business decision for us, right? Not, and not just because it doesn't feel good, although it doesn't, but it's because we'll end up 
you know, like we make loans and we do, we provide financing options to people. If someone's not getting a good outcome on the other hand, on the other side, they're going to be less likely to be able to pay us back. It's as simple as that. Um, so I feel really strongly that that you can build a successful business while also doing the right thing. And I'll also say that we, um, you know, we were all very moved by the sort of racial injustice movement that started last year and that has continued and have been very focused on not only how we can make sure that climb is an equitable place to work where people of all backgrounds can be heard and feel supported um, through sort of like internal DE&I work, but also making sure that's happening in our communities uh, of our schools and that those schools are doing the right thing, that they understand that that's important to us and can commit that it's important to them. Um, and we put our money where our mouth is. So we've run a couple scholarship campaigns that are specifically focused on underrepresented communities. We actually got, um, did one in the trucking logistics sector not too long ago. Um, and the, the winner of that was, a, was a, a, a woman who was a person of color who is now gonna be a, a truck driver uh, in an industry that has largely been reserved for men. So uh, really excited just about being able to invest in that and make a difference in more ways than just, you know, earning more revenue. Angela, I appreciate that. I, I love following companies where values align, right? It's not yeah. just a profitability, but it is a company, right? You would like to profit. You would like to make money to impact the industry more. And I think you said it best there, um, leveling the playing field, right? But I'm, I'm curious, in addition to that with Climb Credit, can you speak a little bit more specifically on some of the tools that you offer and why you think they're unique or important or a differentiator? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, most, most of the tools that we provide are tools that are financing and payment tools that students will find through kind of the schools that they are thinking about working with. So our primary business is we find the schools that are doing a great job and then we help those schools offer affordable payment and financing options to the, to the students who wanna attend them. That's our primary business. And what's important about that is it's important that we have a relationship with the school because then we can really get the data, make sure that they're doing a good job, that they're aligned with, with our values and our mission. And then we can work with them to be really efficient and effective in offering the right solutions to the students who are going there. But what's important is on the back end of that is we have an actual relationship with the students who go there because they pay through Climb. And so in addition to this relationship that initially we built with the school, we now start to build this relationship with the students, right? And through that, mm -hmm. we can learn more about what's going on at the school, understand the outcomes, and then be able to deliver better products to the students who attend there because we have a better understanding of what's going on there. But in addition to that, we have tools on our websites that where you can learn about the schools we work with, understand about the kind of career tracks that we, um, that, that we support. We've got you know, a blog with a lot of really interesting information about personal finance and about career education. So we absolutely want to put things out there, but our primary business is kind of in that, in that financing, the, like financing the, the program. Um, 
And, but then we also have some tools around financial literacy and things like that, that we, that we leverage once somebody is a client of Climb's and once someone is kind of with Climb. Absolutely. That's, that's great to hear. So, you know, uh, it's, it's awesome to hear about the initiatives that, that Climb's um, partaking in and as well. Um, looking to the future, what should we, we, we be looking at for Climb uh, in the next year? Yeah, so we are, um, a lot, well, first of all, a lot of things. Um, one is, I think you'll see from just generally that our industry of career education, schools that offer a return on investment or career progression to their students is, is going to be growing. And as a result, climb is going to be growing. So one thing you'll see from us is growth. Um, you'll also see that we start, uh, we're going to be offering more um more financing and payment options at our school partners. So when, when students come to the programs that we support, there will be more ways to pay through CLIMB, um, particularly affordable ways. So we launched at the end of last year, a 0% APR financing option that's now available at a lot of our schools. So things like that. Um, and, then, and then lastly, I think you'll, you'll see more and more content coming out. Um, one of the things that we uh, want to invest in is helping people understand the market that we support. One of the big challenges that I think exists in higher education today is that it seems like a one track option, right? So like if you are graduating from high school, it seems like the main thing you should do is go to college. And once you're in the workforce, if you want to get more training, most people turn towards expensive master's degrees. And what we want to do is not necessarily deter people from those options, but shed some light on what the other options that might be lower cost or more efficient, uh, and by efficient, I mean, don't take as long, <laughs> uh, that, that are out there so that someone can make a really informed decision about where they spend their educational dollars and their educational time. And Angela, I think that's perfect because I'm, I'm thinking now how you're helping people with credit and getting access at a younger age, simpler, easier. So given this devastating financial impact of the pandemic, I'm sure that was a wild time for you and Climb. Um, obviously, millions of households feeling overwhelmed, helpless from a financial perspective. So what are some ways that Climb kind of adjusted there and helps address some of these emotional aspects that come from money and our careers? Yeah, so I would say there's both the acute like pandemic happened, what did we do then? And now what, what are we doing kind of continually? And so what we did when the pandemic first hit was we first looked to our borrowers. That was the first, well, that's not true. First, I looked to the employees and made sure that all of our employees were safe and at home and able to do what they needed to do and live their lives and took care of their families. After that, we turned to the borrowers. And what we did was we created a forbearance program, which is a program where you don't need to make a payment. And we, we, let, we did a two-month forbearance where not only did anyone who opted in, no questions asked, not have to make a payment, but we also did not accrue interest. And what was really important about doing that was we didn't know what was going to happen. And so the biggest, even for people who were able to retain their jobs throughout the pandemic, those two months were incredibly scary because we, because of the uncertainty. And so what we wanted to do was just remove one thing that someone didn't have to worry about. And that was making a payment to climb. 
after that was over, then, you know, obviously at a certain point we had to turn payments back on. And what we've done is we've tried to be really flexible with people in terms of offering options to help them get through the, uh, through the kind of current situation that we continue to find ourselves in, um, including introducing some financial literacy tools, um, which I mentioned very briefly earlier, but having some credit counseling opportunities mm -hmm. for people who maybe have found themselves in a challenging place and are trying to figure out how to best get out of it. Again, instead of the old way of saying, sorry, we can't help you, saying, we're really sorry we're going through this, here is someone who can help you, right? At the end of the day, challenges with money are really scary, but often what you need is a plan, right? And what you need mm -hmm. is support in making that plan. So I personally have had friends and relatives who have gotten into financial trouble, right? Just like a little bit too much credit card debt or, you know, lost their job and didn't have the savings they needed. And what I've found is that like in my just experience of working in finance, I understand what tools are out there and are available. And it often isn't more than like a 30 or 45 minute conversation with someone to help them just feel better about the track that they can get back on. And so what mm. I would say to my advice to anyone who's feeling desperate about money or worried about money or worried about um, their financial situation is that they should talk to somebody, whoever it is, whether, and then there's, there's free resources out there, you know, you can Google around, but talk to somebody because getting a plan is usually the best first step towards getting out of whatever that challenge is. And on that plan, right, we're all just little mini businesses, right? And every business has income, right? And expenses. You've got your assets and you've got your liabilities. We all have those, right? And mm -hmm. so you got to figure out which of those levers you can pull. Sometimes it's the expenses. It's like, all right, I'm in a little financial trouble. I'll stop going to Starbucks for the next couple of months. And I'll tell you, I've done that before and it feels great. Every morning when you make your own coffee, it's just like financially, you're like, that's $7. <laughs> uh, so you've got that, right? But then on the other side, there's the income side right? And if you're out of work or not making enough money to support the life that you want to live, there are opportunities to get into the workforce and upskill and reskill that are out there. You just got to research them and figure them out, right? And that's a part of the plan, right? So it's not just not going to Starbucks, although that can be part of it. And it's not just paying off the credit card debt. It's figuring out how you can make that top line part of your income statement stronger, Angela, it's like you read our minds as we're pivoting into the last part of this interview. I was going to ask you, what is the one thing you'd recommend for a listener to do right after hearing your episode? But I'm guessing it's going to be either talking to someone or creating a plan. Am I, am I on the ball with that? Or is there anything else you want to tell our listeners to get started with? I would say if you don't have a plan, my number one piece of advice is create that plan. But I'm a planner on all kinds of things, but, but I really, it really is important with, with financial health and with, uh, and, and with financial awareness. But I, would, I think my biggest piece of advice within that is don't ignore the income side of your income, of, you know, of, your, of, of your sort of self as a business, right? 
And like, that's where, what, what amazes me in our work at Climb is all of the great stories that we hear from our students about they can't believe how much more money they're making, right? So you have somebody who was working a minimum wage job, right? Doing whatever that is, right? Working a minimum wage job and then gets a job working as an example in the healthcare sector or maybe in the trades. And now you're making $55,000 a year. And that is an amazing feeling. And so everybody's path is different. Everyone, what brings everyone joy is different. What you like to do with your time and energy is gonna be different. And so everybody's path needs to be unique to them. But what I what always, I think I want, what I wanna impart on people is that there's a lever to earn more money. And so you should make sure that you're always looking at that lever. It doesn't mean you need to do anything about it. It doesn't mean that you need to make any changes, but you should understand where your opportunities are and make sure that you're tapping into those if that's something that'll make you happy. Mm, yes, that is such great motivation for all of us at this point in a crazy economic environment and just taking control of your own finances and including your career. Angela, thank you so much for being here. Out of all of the incredible nuggets that you shared, I think I'm taking away your quick tidbit on volatility, especially for those of us that are in our 20s or potentially just starting out to build wealth. Thinking about things in terms of proportions was never something I thought about, especially when you think about being able to accelerate that wealth building journey. So thank you for that nugget for myself. Thank you for sharing with our entire audience. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet you guys. Happy St. Patrick's Day, particularly to Liam. <laughs> yeah, Leslie, I, I couldn't agree more. Thanks thanks so much, Angela, for, for taking the time. I think my biggest takeaway was to uh, invest in and, and prioritize your learning. Um, and like you said, Angela, it doesn't have to be through paying tens of thousands of dollars to get that MBA, but researching and finding efficient and effective ways to continue evolving those hard and soft skills are definitely crucial to that career advancement. Absolutely. Our community, as well as the CLIMB community, are collectively pursuing that happiness, whatever it means to you, through better money principles, systems, and habits. So thanks, all you listeners, for tuning in. Let us help you continue to achieve your goals and celebrate you when you do. Yes, and we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or Twitter with your reactions to this series and your questions for future episodes. If you don't follow us already, you can find our handles in the podcast description. And lastly, big time shout out to Angela. Angela, for my last shout out, I'm putting my Irish hat on. Oh, good. In the spirit of your daughter dyeing her hair green. Um, I need to have my Ireland hat on here for my sign off. But thanks for joining and dropping some awesome gems um, as they contribute to our series. Uh, one of my greatest takeaways was hearing you just express your vulnerability early on about when you were in the shoes of a lot of our listeners and maybe weren't as educated on things like compounding interest, things like building credit, and how that has now pioneered your path into being that change factor for a lot of the people to help them not make that same, not so much mistake, but maybe just to adapt to that new life uh, a little bit faster than they otherwise would. So for you, Angela, any final words for our audience today? 
Just remember the most important thing is what brings you joy. It will make all the difference. Everything follows that. If you're doing something that makes you happy and you bring it every day to work or whatever you're doing, you will get compensated for it. So just invest in that, invest in that. That is absolutely a message I think we're all just inspired by. So if you haven't already, listeners, please go ahead and check out Climb. Keep up with them on social media. Check out their website. All will be linked in the podcast description. And in the meantime, thanks for joining this incredible Future of Finance series. It's been an incredible experience for us, our partners, and we hope that you, our listeners, have enjoyed it as well. Feel free to DM us your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. And in the meantime, we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming next Wednesday with the 15-minute soundbite answering questions from our DMs. We can't wait to hear from you, and we will talk to you next week. Signing off for now. Thanks, everybody.